We're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Put your hands in the air. Sing it. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ted and Diana are in the newsroom. Will is on the board. I'm going to class knowing what a raw pull is. Hey, I learned a lot from Hamilton today. Here's Scott Thompson! Man, we got too much stuff going on. Uh, good afternoon. It is 3.08. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson, Will Erskine behind the board, Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks uh, on the dance floor, I do believe. It is Teddy's pick of the day. Mm. He's cutting Yank- a rug in there. Oh, <laughs> Yank it out the Chaka Khan. Uh-huh. Ah, see? You people, uh, you you think all I you want to hit wonders and horn music, yes. But I do have another side to it. And the reason I picked this song <laughs> is because every because I'm kind of the DJ in the newsroom. I I play songs oh, and sometimes wait turn them up. Wait, 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 wait. It's true. It's true. So so <laughs> the what DJ of the newsroom. So what I do is I play the song and Diana's every time I play the song, her head starts moving and I want to get on the dance floor. So, yeah. you know, I thought Today, it was either, just so you know, it was a grand funk song or this one. So good. I chose this. That's a good choice, Ted. Ooh, thank you. 1980s, Ted. See? Look at you bolting way ahead I'm to the 1980s. You, you people think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lodged in, you know, one specific. No. It's I, the you know, MTV era, Ted. See? Look at you swinging see? from the chandelier. I'm telling you. See? Uh, is it the video that you like or is it the song? It's the song. Oh, it's just so, you know. Yeah. I hear you. All right. Uh, oh, everybody gather around the microphone. Gather around the microphone. Here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Delay. There's a delay. Happy birthday, birthday dear Ted. Ted. <laughs> <laughs> I am And we uh, just lost all our listeners. I'm not sure <laughs> that was old, any better. The studio audience not, just got up and left. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that was any better than the first one. Oh. But hey Ted, yes. happy birthday to you. And Thank you know you. who told me it was your birthday today? Oh, I'm scared to ask. My wife, Eileen. Oh, okay. What the heck is that? How is that happening? Because she likes me. She forgets mine. She remembers yours. See? Expect a nice, uh, expect a nice gift in the mail, Ted, from I her. So. I don't know Thank what's you. going on there. Thank you, Eileen. All right, uh, it, it's always uh, not polite to ask anybody how old you are. So I I, I'm going to get, I'm going to get Will to ask you that. <laughs> Say, Ted, what's your age? <laughs> Are you one? Uh, if, yeah. if you started to do that, you'd be here uh, all day. That's right. All of a sudden, we're going into Radley's show here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 67. Oh. Wow. Good for you, Ted. Jeez, Ted. You like you look way younger than that. Thank you. And I know and Ted's going, what happened? I think that was a compliment there. I, yeah. was waiting for a sl- I was waiting for a slap to the side of the head that never came. Yeah. Wow. Well, you're in phenomenal shape, Teddy boy. Let me tell you that. You run the uh, rear ends off of most of us. So uh, good for you. You know what? You uh, you take care of your health. You do the right thing. You got your health and wellness show. You got your mind in the right place. Good for you, Ted. What a great time in your life for you. Uh, congratulations Thank to you. you on a 67th year. Yep. And you're going to retire this year. Man, what a good for you, Teddy. And you know what? Let me say some other things now that I'm uh, waxing poetic here. <laughs> I have worked with this man for an awfully long time in some variations of another. Sometimes he was on one radio station. Sometimes I was on another. What have you. But whenever we came together and got to do a show together, it's it's exactly what you are hearing today. And uh, the joy about doing Hamilton today is getting to work with each and every one of you because you add to the team, you add to the fun. And Ted, man, you are a cheerleader in all of this. Not only do you realize it's about delivering the news and whatever. It's about having a good time. It's about entertainment and uh, and keeping the audience listening. And you are a legend in this town, Ted. And have a great birthday. Thank you. And um, I'm 
I'm actually not a legend, but thank you for that. I just look at myself as a common schlep just doing a job. So. <laughs> you, well, that's the way they treat you in the newsroom, and they well, have yeah, it no other yeah, way. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, have a great birthday today, Ted. It's a pleasure having you in the show. Thank I enjoy you. it every day. I look forward to the roundtable with all of you, and uh, every Friday, the countdown to Ted. You don't want to miss it. <laughs> uh, so happy birthday to you, and uh, are we going to start with the bumps, or are we waiting that f- oh, to later? The bumps. I forget we used to do that at school. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's right. Whoever's in the newsroom, uh, <laughs> each one grab a limb. Uh, but wait a second. You might sorry, put what a... are we doing here? <laughs> uh, we're, you got, uh, you're going to give Ted the bumps. But I want you to put like a nice mat down there or a pillow. Because, you know, he is 67. You don't want him throwing a disc out during this uh, stuff. Oh, geez. As I, as I think he did, by the way, dancing to Chaka Khan. I think he's going to, you're going to smell the Ben Gay soon because uh, he's probably throwing something out doing that. <laughs> Oh, by the way, is the are we still on the air? Is, uh, <laughs> I think so. I think we have a show to do. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. look at that. We're out of time. All right. We will see uh, all of you at the Big Round Table coming up after the 4.30 news. Uh, K- uh, Ted, let me know when the cake arrives, and uh, we'll light the candles and set off the smoke alarms like we do every year. <laughs> I know. All right. Uh, we got a jam-packed show, and I guess as it goes, I'll kind of tell you about it, but, uh, you know, it's the same old stuff. Uh, more and more of great radio on the way. Poll question of the day. Will you get your COVID-19 booster shot. Go to our uh, social media pages or Twitter pages to jump in on that. Uh, the big story of the day is, uh, of course, Ontario's fiscal statement, which we are going to get to uh, eventually. Uh, feel free to send Ted a note at, uh, what is his email address? Do we know that? <laughs> Wait a sec, maybe we shouldn't do that. I'm getting all these emails in the newsroom. What's going on? Uh, happy birthday to Ted, and uh, we're going to chat with Ted and Diana in the big round table, around the big round table, coming up after the 4.30 news. You don't want to miss that. All right, let's bring in Dr. Ahmad Khalid, health policy expert, talk about what is latest in COVID-19, including um, uh, now a pill which could help people who are suffering from COVID-19, have been diagnosed, tested positive. Let's bring in Dr. Ahmad, uh, Ahmad Khalid, health policy expert. He is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Scott. Uh, first of all, Ahmad, I want to talk about the Ontario fiscal statement. There was uh, appeared, and obviously during this global pandemic, especially during the first wave and such, we saw a lot of weak links in the healthcare system and links that have, weak links that have been there for an awfully long time. But this certainly has focused more attention on it, including long term care. We're hearing more money uh, in that direction. Uh, politicians obviously like to do this sort of thing but is there is there any concrete uh, any concrete advancement here doctor yeah i think that when we look at the budget announcement we're seeing that the government is looking at the flaws or the gaps that happened during covid-19 and they're trying to address it with this new funding call so i think we saw a big emphasis on long term care we witnessed a massive shortage of nurses there's a there's a big call for increased funding on that one there's also a big big emphasis on home care and i think that COVID-19 really emphasized the need for us to strengthen community care, whether whether that is in people's homes or just in the fact that people access to a family physician through telehealth and telemedicine. So it's not surprising, the announcement of where they decided to focus the funding. I think the important thing to see is that are we able to address the gaps that we've identified during the pandemic with this new funding call, or are we going to fall short in the next pandemic that comes around? Uh, you talked about home care, and I think obviously with some seniors, and you know, my mother's in a long-term care residence, and, and they do a great job and such, but there's a lot of people that have become very hesitant about that because what has happened and are looking more and more towards home care. Is this is this uh, an avenue we're taking a good enough look at? Because at the end, I think people want to stay home. Yeah, I think that we're gonna we're we're seeing a huge emphasis on this, uh, not only just in terms of funding, Scott, but also in terms of research and in policy across the board. I think we saw devastating effects that happened in long-term care, which urged a lot of people to consider the need to strengthen home care, uh, and so that people don't have to go to long-term care centers. But we're also seeing a change uh, in the in the near future in the infrastructure of long-term care centers. There's been a lot of audit reports that have been happening, and a questioning around the shortage of staff. Even the funding call today, you notice that a, a big part of it was about strengthening nursing care within long-term care centers. And so that's whether increasing more professional training of, uh, of nurses in those centers, but also just looking at what currently exists in terms of capacity needs within those long-term care home centers. 
Uh, this is sort of off topic. We've talked about this a, a couple of times, doctor, but this sounds like also a great opportunity for those that want to get into healthcare, whether it's doing something as advanced as you are or right down to a PSW. I mean, it, it, there's, there's a lot of room for advancement, it seems now in this industry. There's a huge interest, not just in public health and, and healthcare professionals, but across all boards. I mean, we are seeing increased admission rates uh, in universities across the country for healthcare-related fields. There's also a concern about the burnout of healthcare professionals, Scott. I mean, mm. you and I have talked about this on the show for a long time. Uh, our hearts and our minds go out to all and everybody who works in the healthcare system because the demand on them has been so uh, massive this past year during the pandemic, and it will continue to be as we see ourselves out of the pandemic. So, we know, as much as there is an increase in terms of recruitment, there's also a concern about how do we make it sustainable, yeah. how do we ensure that they're safe. Good point. Uh, now, we've heard about this pill from Merck uh, to mm. treat those that have tested positive. What can you tell us? Well, we, we can tell you this is great positive news. This Merck is a big company, pharmaceutical company, is doing a very innovative model, which is that, in that it's trying to provide the pill not only for rich countries like Canada, but also to poor countries. That's remarkable because we haven't heard this kind of news in a long time. The pill itself has been approved in Britain, the UK. They're officially starting its use. It's not approved yet in Canada. Health Canada is awaiting the final package uh, of manufacturing data from the company itself uh, so it can start its review process. There's no clear timeline for when that review process will happen. I suspect that probably will be about a couple of months before Canada approves it, Health Canada specifically approve it, and the drug itself uh, targets the same enzyme that the coronavirus uses to re- reproduce itself. So it's supposed to be a very effective drug against COVID-19. Uh, in terms of side effects, we still don't know much about the side effects. However, the reports and Health Canada will release that information once it's able to review it. Dr. Ahmad Khalid with us, health policy expert, bringing us up to date on the latest in COVID-19. Doctor, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Thanks to you, Scott. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, it is uh, it is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will on the board. Ted and Diana in the newsroom. Jumped into the fun. You know what to do. Uh, Facebook and Twitter as well. You'll find the Twitter poll question of the day uh, is waiting for you on our Twitter page. Feel free to weigh in on that and tell us what your thoughts are. Are you going to get the booster? Feel free. We would love to hear from you. All right, uh, you know Hamilton. Man, it has just exploded. Uh, in the last couple of years and was long before the global pandemic, uh, as we saw, we used to talk about it all the time. It's turned the corner. It's done this. It's done that. But then you add in a global pandemic and it's just complicated everything. It's, it's, it's changed people's habits. It's changed the, their priorities and what they're doing. And we always know that, uh, knew that Hamilton, after being stagnant for a long period of time, the housing prices, we're on their way up, and they have been for a long period of time. And, uh, boy, you know, you talk about percentages and such, but you put a number to it, and uh, it really seems to drive the point home. Uh, Hamilton home price is being pushed up over $200,000 from this time last year. Uh, low supply, high demand. Let's find out. Donna Bacher is with us, president of the Realtors Association of Hamilton Burlington, and with us now. Donna, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Yes, I am, and thank you very much for having us, Scott. And happy birthday to uh, Ted Michaels. There you go. Another one for him. Holy smokes. It'll never end. This will continue right through the end of the weekend, I'm thinking. All right. So we've talked about this and and housing in Hamilton for an awful long time. Uh, Many waiting for, you know, the the greener grass and and for prices and things to turn around and and it start to take off the way that it has. But man, this is unbelievable. And it's it's quite a it's quite different when you take a percentage as opposed to the number, Donna. But but like 30 percent, that's what we're seeing. Well, you know what, Scott, is it's something that uh, our members have been dealing with for well over a year now, is this uh, right, the rising prices, the shortage of inventory, uh, and the fact that uh, buyers represent 50% of the market, right? So uh, that's 50% of the people out there conducting real estate activities are buyers trying to navigate this market and their realtors as well. So it's uh, it's certainly has been a different market uh, for everyone involved. And again, you know, whether you're a buyer or a seller, it's a totally different scenario. If you own a home and you're watching the, the value of your home go up, you're thinking, this is great. And But that's if you're getting out of the market. I mean, because when you, when you sell something, you have to go somewhere. So I guess it's great for those getting out, but not so nice for those getting in. Well, yeah, 100%. So, you know, the... I think one of the key takeaways from the stats that uh, that you're aware of or that's being published now 
uh, is that increase in price. But the strongest sales increase from September to October uh, this year was actually in the one million and above price category. Hmm. So that indicated a greater demand from move up and move over buyers who are looking for uh, for larger homes and were benefiting from that uh, you know that hot multiple offer uh, situation on the homes that they were in. So, uh, but in that over that one million, because there were so many, it it has had an impact in the right. uh, the average medium benchmark prices of all the dwelling types. So it's interesting that you're seeing larger, bigger homes like that uh, drive this. What about the other end of the scale? What about affordable housing? What about those just st- starting and trying to get in? Well, you know, one of the the biggest issues, uh, and it started in 2019, well before the pandemic, was a drop in inventory levels. Certainly yeah. nothing to the extreme that it is at now. We're at 0.6 months of inventory. Uh, so to put that um, in, in more layman terms, is it would take approximately two to three weeks uh, for there to for us to continue selling the demand and not having anything on the market if there were no new listings come on, so that that is a very very short market there, a very high turnover. It's almost like drop shipping houses. We we've heard a lot about expanding the urban boundary and this that and the other uh, green belts and such. Should we be building more? You know, because it seems at the end of the day, this is more a supply and demand issue than anything. Well, the Ontario Real Estate Association has been very vocal on the need for uh, for houses. And I'm not talking, and they're not talking the 500 square foot condos. They're talking the houses where family creation, you know, the creation of family units can actually utilize. So, you know, whether they be three-bedroom towns or, or you know, single-family homes or semi-detached homes, uh, you know, the, when, you, when you get a, a supply-demand like what we're seeing, and it's uh, at last October it was, you know, mainly due to that pent-up demand from the lockdown and, and from pretty well a market stall in the second quarter of 2020, uh, and but what we're seeing now is just there is so many people looking for a place to uh, a place to move to, a young a young couples who are getting married and want to move out of their their parents' basement, you know. So uh, yeah. people are downsizing. Yeah, very. very it seems it. It seems what we're doing and how we're attacking this is very different from what the consumer is actually looking for, especially in a post-pandemic world where they're looking for more space. It's going to be fascinating to see how this works it works its way out and it works itself out. Donna Backer with us, the president of the Realtors Association of Hamilton Burlington, talking about the home prices in the hammer. Donna, thanks for the time. Be well. And thank you very much, Scott. The truth and only the truth. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Uh, it's Hamilton Today. Will on the board. Ted and Diana in the newsroom. Jump into the conversation. Send us a note. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221. Star 9900 on your cell. Uh, we certainly remember the horrific uh, images coming out of Afghanistan several weeks ago uh, when everybody was trying to get out. Uh, but at the, roughly the same time, uh, the Americans and, and other peacekeepers were, uh, were on their way out. And of course, there was, uh, you know, a vast number of, uh, Afghans who helped Canadians, Canadian soldiers, uh, during this time who unfortunately were left behind. And the struggle continues to get those people to safety. And, and, and this, this situation has not changed in any way. It's just getting, uh, unfortunately, less uh less chatter uh, let's take an, a, a local angle to this and bring in the afghan association of hamilton it's a volunteer-based organization that's been working nearly around the clock to help newcomer refugees settle in the city and to talk more about all of this uh vinos hadari is with us manager of newcomer services with the afghan association of hamilton and with us now vinos thanks for the time i hope you're well thank you scott 
So what has it been like at the Afghan Association of Hamilton in the last few months dealing with all of this and, and, and trying to uh, bridge the gap, get people home, or just even communicate with, with various individuals? Yes, thank you so much for having me on the show today. Uh, so as, as you mentioned, Afghan Association of Hamilton is um, a volunteer-based community organization providing social and community support to the newcomer Afghan, uh, Afghan uh, refugees and immigrants to Hamilton. So as, um, as you can imagine, after the events uh, that have taken place uh, with the Taliban, capturing Afghanistan, um, uh, um, there are over um, 3,000 refugees that have arrived to Canada. Of those, 209 refugees so far have come to the city of Hamilton. And um, we have been working with uh, local community organizations and support groups to make uh, and have a, a, a cooperative approach um, uh, dealing with the newcomers. Uh, and uh, in um, providing services uh, to make sure that um, that newcomers um, uh, are provided with the services and programs that they need. Um, so uh, we have been working uh, around the clock. We have over um, 70 volunteers now working uh, with our organization. Um, and uh, what we've been trying to do is um, meet the most urgent needs of these newcomers. As you can imagine, um, uh, these newcomers have come with nearly um, anything other than a pair of clothing um, in them when they arrive to Canada. So they have um, a lot of needs, um, and um, both physical and mental health needs. Because a lot of them have been faced with um, a lot of challenges um, and have had to face um, horrific events um, before leaving Afghanistan. Have a, some of them were given only a few hours uh, to leave their um, homes and loved ones be- behind. And as a result, they've uh, gone through um, a lot of uh, trauma and they are facing mental health issues. So uh, what we're trying to uh, do is provide them with as much social and community support to make the, their settlement transition uh, a bit easier. What's and, it like? Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, go ahead. So uh, is it still possible? Are you still working at getting more out of uh, Afghanistan, or are you are you dealing right now with the 209 that you have and the challenges that that they are facing? So uh, um, we have received over a hundred emails uh, from people uh, who are still in Afghanistan, people mm. that actually qualify to come under one of the um, uh, special uh, support uh, immigration programs that uh, Canada has for the Afghan nationals. But the problem is that um, even though they qualify and they've worked with the government of Canada, providing them with all the support throughout those years of Canadian government being in Afghanistan, but unfortunately um, they have been uh, stuck and there's hundreds and hundreds of emails that we receive and we have received since um, the capture of the Taliban um, of Afghanistan, but unfortunately, other than just providing them with guidance and support, there's not much that we can uh, do to help those that are actually stranded in Afghanistan yeah. right now. And they have to hide. They're in hide and they're in hiding and they're scared for their lives, for their lives and for the lives of their loved ones. A lot he of knows them how- cannot even get out of their houses. Yeah. Vinos, how can Hamiltonians help the Afghan Association of Hamilton? How can, what can we do? Well, I wanted to mention that, um, um, that we have uh, had such an immense uh, support pouring uh, from the Hamilton community uh, since these refugees have been arriving to Hamilton, and that's that since um, early September. Uh, we've had over 200 individuals and organizations reached out, reached out to Afghan Association of Hamilton to help newcomer Afghan refugee families with everything, 
from providing winter clothing to hygiene products to snacks to food to diapers to formula, we would never be able to deliver over 192 uh, hampers of clothing, essential needs, and food hampers to to over over 200 refugees if it wasn't uh, for the support of many many kind Hamiltonians um, and uh, and of course as a um, as a volunteer based organization we cannot do any of this without the help of the uh, Hamilton community. So just to go over some of the things that um, Hamiltonians can do is um, right now uh, refugees, they, they face housing shortage. And the high housing costs um, means that a lot of them are still at the hotels. As a matter mm. of fact, only... Vinos, uh, I'm going to have to interrupt you here, Vinos, because we're, we're simply out of time. Sure. Is there a website we can go to to find out more information about the Afghan Hamil- Association of Hamilton? Sure. We, have, uh, we don't have a website, but we do have a Facebook page. If you yep. search for Afghan Association of Hamilton, uh, right. we have a Facebook page and you can reach out to us. Afghan Association of Hamilton. You can check out them on social media. Vinos uh, Hadari has been with us, Manager of Newcomer Services with the Afghan Association of Hamilton and how they are solving issues right here at home. Uh, Vinos, thanks so much for the time. Good luck with all of this. Be well. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. Uh, we have uh, chatted uh, at length, obviously, uh, about a global pandemic, what the world is going to like com- uh, coming out the other end of this uh, global pandemic, how it has changed uh, our lives, our thoughts, our priorities as we watch what's happening at the uh, um, at the G20 summit and at COP26. Uh, the world is in a different place now. Uh, whether the global pandemic has uh, accelerated us to this place, um, you know, technology, what we're seeing now has been around for years, but it's taken this to get us uh, where we are. So what is it like coming out of the other end of this? What are we going to learn? And, uh, of course, we're going to mix in some politics uh, with that and include uh, Ontario's uh, fiscal statement. Eric Cam is with us, pr- uh, professor of macroeconomics, Ryerson University, and with us now. Eric, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Uh, thank you very much. Happy birthday to Ted. And any interview that starts with Chicago is going to be a good one. There you go. Uh, he'll be happy to hear that, too. Uh, so let's start with a fiscal statement came out from the Ontario government today. Your thoughts on this document taking us out of a global pandemic? Well, I think that it was an almost predictable move by the premier, but not necessarily a bad one. We all knew that CERB and the transfer payments from the government to labor had to come to a conclusion at some point. I mean, contrary to what some people on the left who support monetary theory, modern monetary theory especially say, debts and deficits do matter. So you can't just print money as if there is no other alternative and there's no price to pay in the future. So we knew that at some point the money had to come to a conclusion in terms of the giveaways. So what is the government doing? Well, it's turning to the next best alternative, which is saying, well, we're not out of this. We have a labor shortage. We have to sort of get economic growth, uh, get the pilot light back on. And so if we're not going to give away money, how can we do it? Well, we can do it through transfer payments to the various and sundry areas that you saw doing today, that there's going to be more construction, there's going to be more infrastructure, there's going to be more training, there's going to be more retraining. So in a sense, not to sound skeptical, but you're still giving money away. You're just not giving it away as if it's a lottery ticket winning. Uh, would this? How would this be different if it, we were not coming out of a global pandemic? I had a prof on earlier this week that said we are in the midst or about to embark on, especially with what's happening around the world with the COP26 and such, in the midst of a giant re, uh, redistribution of wealth, that that, that is coming. What is it going to look like uh, one year, two years, five years from now? You know, this this income redistribution question is a good one, because as we all know, in, in any modern capitalist economy, be it the U.S. or Canada, um, the rich were getting richer and the poor tended to be getting poorer and the middle class was getting lost in the middle. Mm. And that was pre-COVID. And then we hit COVID. And you heard many people say, we're all in this together. But, you know, Scott, we were not all in this together. We were never all in this together. And of course, COVID has hit the middle class and the poor much, much harder than it's hit wealthy people. And you know what? That's pretty much the definition 
of every economic downturn since the beginning of time. So I think what the person you were speaking to was alluding to is that for a while anyway, the wealthy are going to prosper at the rates they always have. The difference is, is that it's going to be the middle and the, and, the, and the bottom income sectors of society. They're going to have a really hard time catching up. We are nowhere near nowhere near where we were in terms of growth, in terms of um, catching up in terms of real wages. There is no economic variable, no macroeconomic indicator where we are close to where we were pre-pandemic. And so again, not to be repetitive, but that's not going to hit the wealthy terribly hard, but it's going to take the middle class and people that are poor uh, harder and harder and longer and longer to even play catch up. Now, they're always playing catch up. But when you start with one arm tied behind your back with less jobs, less real wages, it just makes the, the hill much steeper to climb. So will it be industry or government policy that gets us out of this or even solves climate change uh, for that matter? What is this going to look like? Well, that's those are really different questions. First of all, government does nothing on its own. Um, I hate to tell people, but government does nothing on its own. And that's actually a positive thing because you really don't want government in the business of doing business more than you actually have to. And, and I don't have to tell you about the inefficiencies of running a government. So it's going to have to be a combination of government and industry. But now getting back to climate, the problem with climate is, is there's a dirty little secret out there which is that everybody talks a good game about climate and climate change, wanting to help, wanting to protect the world for our children and our grandchildren. But you know what? People don't feel that way on election day. It is not something that people tend to vote for when they walk into a voting booth, because the first thing they think about is feeding their families. And to your last question, it hasn't been harder in 100 years to feed your family and pay your rent. So are people terribly concerned right now about climate change? I know some people say yes. There's a loud group that say, yes, we are. But I have a feeling that that's not exactly true and that climate change money is not going to grow at any time soon because those dollars just, there's no choice. We have to put them into maintaining a standard of living for people that are, in a lot of cases in this country, $200 away from insolvency. This transition, does it have to be extremely painful? Uh, will we have to give up a lot? In terms of um, sacrificing to mm -hmm. bring down the waste that is brought on by pollution? Yes, um, because it's going to be a very expensive proposition. So you're going to have to sacrifice. Listen, every economic change involves some give up over some get. And if but generally every but, but generally, Eric, every generation excels and gets, you know, and moves beyond the last. Have, has that plateaued or is this uh, a new opportunity? Yeah, Scott, it has for this generation. You know, I've heard this every generation thing and we and my parents did better than my grandparents and I did better than my parents. But mm. that was before COVID. We cannot underestimate what this has done to the economy. There is no lever to be pulled where this economic um, magic is just going to happen. It's going to take years and years and years to get back on our feet. And I'm going to argue that while we're getting back on our feet, carbon taxes and tending to uh, climate change just cannot, unfortunately, cannot be the priority. Interesting. We'll have another uh, conversation on this, Eric. Eric Cam with us, professor of macroeconomics, Ryerson University. Fascinating. Eric, thanks for the time. Be well. Stay healthy, Scott. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Why is he yelling? <laughs> Because you can't hear. Because <laughs> you're 67. You know, I'm, I, I'm in my 50s and I can't hear. I, I can't imagine how you can even function, my friend. This is actually, you know, it's 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 not funny, but the occupational, every job I would yes. suspect at yes. some point has some yes. sort of an occupational hazard. Yes. Most of us lose a little bit of our hearing, or Diane is looking at me because she's a lot younger than all of us. But <laughs> Diana, just so you know, down the road, there may be a little bit of a hearing loss. Oh, I, dear. I have suffered yeah. mine for the last few years and i realized oh. scott probably because we crank the headphones up all the time well look at roy green oh. i know we shouldn't talk out of class here but this guy's got a stack of marshall amps powering his headphones <laughs> when you walk in oh it's just like he's i know he's got them cranked to the you know i know, I know. <laughs> damage level 
It is, and, and that's that's why you hear feedback a lot. It's just from our, it's not that the speakers are left on, it's our headphones coming through the microphone. Anyway, uh, it is Ted, uh, Ted's birthday. He is celebrating his 67th today as he was uh, nice enough to unveil to us. So happy birthday to you. It is a Ted Michaels big round table today. All right. So uh, we're going to whip around the table. And I know we've already covered this a bazillion times, but we always do the poll question of the day and we can just get a yay or an A all the way around. Are you getting your boosters? The poll question of the day. You can uh, weigh in on that on Twitter. Uh, go ahead, Teddy. You getting yours? Why not? All right. Bend over. Uh, Diana, are you <laughs> getting you yours? For- <laughs> <laughs> yes, I-, I will get mine when my time comes. Yeah, that's it, too. Like, hey, Ted, is your time coming yet? I think Ted's you- time is definitely before mine. <laughs> yeah, mine, too. Nice. Uh, Will? Nice. I'll get the booster and as many more as they'll give me. Make me a living god. Come on. <laughs> that's it. And, you know, we are kind of, we have to because we're a federally regulated business. It's like the airline. So, all right, there you go. Uh, I wanted to talk about... Uh, former Premier Bill Davis, uh, he's having his memorial today. Well, they are having his memorial today. He passed away in the summer in August and such, but obviously due to COVID, uh, we didn't, uh, they didn't get to do all of this. I believe he's having a, uh, had a big thing at Massey Hall. Uh, many have looked to Bill Davis, and I know it, maybe Teddy and I are aging ourselves here, um, but many have described him as the best Premier in Ontario. Uh, and he seemed to have a, he, he accomplished quite a bit and he seemed to be able to bring people together. My question today is, what are we missing in our leaders, whether it's provincial, federal, whatever? And I'll start with you, birthday boy. What's missing here? One word, decorum. Hmm. We don't have that anymore. You get people up, you know, yelling about it. I understand, for example, that the opposition in whatever uh, legislature they have, it's their job to be upset. But, you know, some of the vitriolic comments and some of the commercials on television, you think that it's bad now for the uh, upcoming provincial yeah. election? Just wait till next year. But yeah. people don't seem to have the respect. Bill Davis commanded the room. He would get up and he would make a comment, much like in the past, you know, great debaters like and again, we're date, dating ourselves here, Pierre Trudeau. And, uh, you know, people like even Preston Manning with that annoying, well, the Canadian people, but at least he had <laughs> he, he wasn't yelling at people. Yeah. Anyway, that's my opinion. Uh, Diana, want to weigh in? What are you missing in leadership nowadays? Well, I'm not as old as you and Ted. <laughs> so I don't remember when Bill Davis was in office. I believe it was the... You early eighties. I, I think I was. Bo- I was definitely born, but I definitely wasn't paying attention to politics at that time. <laughs> um, so I really don't have like as big of a barometer to compare it to. But I do have to agree with Ted on that sense. That uh, I think there, decorum definitely is a is a good word to describe that. Well. Uh, I think it's funny, Diana just said it doesn't have as much to compare it to because it has been a gradual slide uh, almost. We've gotten, you know, everyone just slightly kind of one-upping each other with, well, we like passion and we like showmanship, but they kind of get lost in that. They get lost in that mentality. And so decorum is a good word for it, even just uh, self-regulation or, or, yeah, I'm going to go with decorum. I think that's the perfect (laughs) word, birthday boy. Thank you. I have, uh, I've talked about this many times. I, I think it's the inability to come together, the inability to agree to disagree, uh, the inability to bring both the left and the right together into the center and come and find some sort of solution. It seems that now the issue is, uh, this is my view, and if you disagree with me, you're wrong, whether it's on the left or the right. It, it seems that, and, and maybe this is Trumpism, although we can't blame that. Uh, you know, I've talked to many, uh, many, uh, uh, poly size and stuff. You can't blame Trumpism. This has been on the rise in Canada for quite a while, as it has been everywhere. Uh, but it seems that there's no there's no consensus. There's no middle ground anymore. It's either you're way over on that side, and or you're way over on that side. And I don't think that's what Canadians are. And and sorry. And how much of that has to do with social media, with yeah. comments well, being yeah. you know put on? We didn't have. And again, I sound old. Back in the seventies and the eighties, we didn't have social media. We only had the newspaper and the radio and television. Social media has a Letters really stir, really yeah really stirs people up and not 
unfortunately, uh, many times not very well. And, it adds, and, artifi- and artificially, too. It, yes. it, 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 it's doing this artificially. And with artificial intelligence in some yeah. cases. But uh, to that point, and I think it ties it together, that is part of decorum as well, is how quick you react to something, how you get stirred up by something. And at the same time, if you had a, a modicum of decorum or what have you, uh, not to be snippy, it, that makes you pause. And then that pause gives you a chance to think, well, Maybe I can find another way than just shouting back at this person. You can get the sort of cooperation that you're looking for, Scott. You know, it's interesting. Everybody, if you go back to, say, and this is more recent, obviously, Stephen Harper. I remember him in the sweater and shaking his son's hand. And people were saying, like, what is this guy? He's a square. He's He, he doesn't seem to be in touch. And, and, and again, this isn't the politics side of it. This is just the image side of it. And then fast forward, you get a prime minister who uh, obviously appealed to a different generation and with technology and with the selfie and the socks and whatever. And it seems that the flash sells more than the substance now do you think we're going to get back to the substance of all of this if they elect a proper leader like let's go back when trudeau Are first got elected. i don't know and that's the other issue but let's go back when trudeau got elected the first time what was it again i'm going back i had visions of his dad and trudeau mania and people loved this guy he was new yeah. pierre trudeau 1968 and they fell yep. in love with the guy and what happened the first time his son got elected same thing people fell in love with what they saw then they realized a little different from his father that maybe there's not a lot of substance there but i've heard that many times from political scientists and that's the difference between the prime minister and the former premier i'm going to leave it at that thanks kids around the big round table and happy birthday to you ted all right uh we all know how uh covid19 has affected a uh, global pandemic has affected uh pretty much everything pretty much everything but uh the deputy director of CSIS says that covid19 has been the most disruptive event for canadian intelligence since 9-11 to talk more about all of this phil gursky is with us and i have his new book right in front of me the peaceable kingdom with a question mark a history of terrorism canada from confederation to the present uh phil gursky he is with borealis threat and risk consulting and director of the university of ottawa security program and a former CSIS analyst with us now phil thanks for the time i hope you're well i'm doing well scott thanks for having me back on again so how is why is this the most disruptive event since way back at 9-11 well, to, to give your listeners a history lesson, since it's um, Ted's birthday today, I was at CSIS on 9-11, and I do remember what that did for us in terms of our investigation, the tempo, the um, need to show that Canada wasn't involved in 9-11, because it had, had it been, had it been, it had those terrorists crossed in, uh, into the states from Canada? Could you imagine bilateral relations? So mm. it had a huge impact on it. What the deputy director meant by that is, is multifold. One is that... Um, COVID's had an impact on the workforce. You know, people have, you know, kids they have to take care of because schools are closed and you have to do distancing at work. And, you know, working for CSIS, it shouldn't become a surprise, Scott, but working from home is kind of hard because the information you're dealing with on a daily basis is classified at secret, if not higher, and you can't do that from home. And so I think from that perspective, the organization went through a, a real crisis in terms of how do we fulfill our mandate, our legislative mandate, while still working from home. The other part she alluded to was that, you know, the threats that, that have always been there kind of got magnified in a way. So we had, you know, there's espionage, there's foreign interference, there's cyber attacks, there's terrorism, et cetera. And I think in part because your workforce, by definition, was a little slimmer because of the, the um, factors I just mentioned, that some of the bad actors kind of figured that out and yeah. want to take advantage of it. So that's how it made, I think it made Jesus's life a lot more difficult this year. Plus, I mean, when you think back to 9-11 and obviously a tragic event, we remember how it changed travel and, and security and so on and so forth. But COVID-19 seems to have, fect- have affected every single corner of the planet. And it just it just seems to have more of a blanket than the effect from 9-11. Is that accurate? I, I think it is. And, you know, some of the things that, that Tricia talked about were things like, you know, conspiracy theories, the anti-vaccine movement that you, I'm sure you're very familiar with. We've had, you know, events in Canada where politicians have been threatened you know whether or not the threat is real is a, is a whole other issue but it's never a good thing to get a threat from somebody and i think that you know the types of things that were happening outside of canada get magnified here as well and that's not a surprise scott you look at the history of terrorism and thank you by the way for referencing my book you know a lot of the acts of terrorism here in canada 
were inspired by people outside of Canada. Think Air India in 85. Those are Sikh extremists in Canada inspired what was happening in, in, in India. The Armenian assassination in the early 80s in Ottawa, inspired by what was happening in Turkey. So we're not an island here, Scott, in Canada. And so it doesn't surprise me at all that what's happening worldwide, and COVID was a worldwide phenomenon, did have repercussions for us here in Canada as well. And you know, what's different now, as you're saying, Phil, it was always like from a from a, a far away, away at a distance, a, a far away land or what have you. But we're even seeing situations here in Hamilton where local politicians, councillors are being harassed. They're getting vehicles vandalized. And I mean, you know, we all we, we all have issues with politicians and such, but this has gone way too far. Absolutely. And part of what's feeding it is this, this worldwide web, right? I mean, you can log on anywhere, anytime. You can get messages from somebody in the middle of nowhere, Asia or the Middle East or Africa or United States or whatever. You follow somebody online. These conspiracy memes get shared. The disinformation gets shared. And I think that the beauty of online communication and, you know, you, we, we couldn't function today without the World Wide Web, right? I mean, it's, it is, it's part of who we are, but it has that, that dark side you refer to. And I think that, again, you know, we have people in Canada here who are part of these online networks that share this this garbage about, you know, COVID causing cancer or Bill Gates created COVID to make money kind of thing. And that's another way in which I think the international community and, and the bad actors in that community have an effect on here, uh, us here in Canada. And CSIS as an organization has to worry about all of that simultaneously with a, a, a finite bunch of resources and with their and that workforce that's working from home or is taking time off to take care of their kids because of COVID. And, you know, you talk about the spreading of misinformation and how that's used to mobilize things. We're seeing that uh, in the investigations on, on the January 6th uh, um, uh, event in, in Washington. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and, and obviously, we're, we're seeing this on a local level with local politicians. To, and you have to think a lot of these people that are showing up on even politicians' front lawns. And, you know, I know the mayors had issues with this in the past and such. They're not even from Hamilton. They're just mobilized and brought in from elsewhere talk about that a bit and and is there any way to you know police this i mean everybody says freedom of speech freedom of this freedom of whatever but we know how the algorithm uh, algorithms and such work here so is there any way to to police this or is there a solution here wow how much time do we have um unfortunately there's not scott and we you know we don't want a society where thesis or the rcmp or hamilton police monitor no. everybody simultaneously that's not it's, you know we have our rights as canadians and the other thing that Jesus makes quite clear you know we do have freedom of speech being an idiot online you're allowed to do that what you're not allowed to do is plan an act of violence based on the fact that you're an idiot online so that you know there's that that the difference between you know voicing racist opinions or misogynist opinions and actually acting violently based on those opinions the problem is you're right it, you know it can happen anywhere and i give me a, a very short example scott I can remember a couple of years ago um, when when Obama was president and Clinton was vice president, a guy got online and he heard that Clinton was part of a, a Satanist pedophile ring out of yeah. a parlor in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Well, he drove from Tennessee or somewhere for hours and hours and hours, got to the, 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 the pizzeria, armed to the teeth. He's going to rescue those children. They realized it was all fake. So somebody's going to drive across four state lines to go rescue children in, in a made-up Satanist pedophile ring. How do you police that? How do you figure it out? You, you can't monitor everyone simultaneously. And then that's the challenge. Obviously, you, uh, your eyes and ears have seen and heard things we have not. What, what would you say to the average person who's suspicious of this or thinks about this? What can we do? Two things. So the first thing is um, we, we can't translate idiotic sayings in, into idiotic violent action. The vast majority of people, pardon my expression, couldn't organize a proverbial piss-up in a bar and have no intention of doing so. So let's not panic about everybody who says dumb stuff online is going to get a gun or a knife and do something. The second thing, though, is that if you're concerned, this is why we have law enforcement. This is why we have CSIS in the RCMP. If there are things that you think are really problematic and are potentially, and I stress potentially, could lead to an act of violence, I think you have a duty as a Canadian and as a human being to involve the officials that get involved, and that's the police and, and, and CSIS. If it turns out to be somebody who has serious mental mental health issues, they'll get the mental health program involved. But, you know, that's what 911 is there for. These are the mm. people that are trained and paid to do this for us. And I think they should be trusted with the information so that bad things won't happen. 
Phil Gursky with us, President of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, Director of the University of Ottawa Security Program, former CSIS, Ali, uh, uh, former CSIS analyst, and the Peaceable Kingdom author of. Thank you, Phil. A lot to mention there. We got her all in. Thanks for the time. Always appreciate it. Okay, you take, take, take care, Scott. Bye-bye. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. It is Ted Michael's birthday today, so he's literally been picking all of the songs, including the top hour and everything else on the show. Uh, most of it very horn intense. He's into the horns. Oh, it was sitting right there, and I could have knocked it out of the park, you know, the horny joke. It didn't go. He's a man of age. I'm not going to say those sorts of things. I don't want to offend him. Uh, but anyway, it's uh, Ted Michael's birthday today, and all of the music, uh, stuff from Teddy's playlist featuring uh, an abundance of bands with a very hot horn section. A love that Teddy has uh, in the music. Feel free to jump into the fun. We would love to hear from you. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Oh, did I mention it's Hamilton today? Uh, Will is on the board. Ted and Diana in the newsroom. Feel free to jump into the conversation through the ways I have just expressed to you. We would love to hear from you. Uh, before we get to uh, what's coming up on the rest of the show, I want to bring in Lisa Pileski because uh, obviously there was a breaking story earlier in uh, earlier on in the day about a lockdown and we want to get an update on all of that so joining us now uh reporter for 900 chml lisa paleski is with us lisa tell us uh, what happened last time we heard you were heading up uh, uh on scene w- w- describe what's going on well uh it sounds like we still have a, a bit of a closure on fennel but in the area of kind of garth and fennel but basically a uh, little bit of a scare for students at hillfield strathallen college uh this afternoon i guess there was a report of a lockdown at the school um, at around 3.15 this afternoon. Um, there it was. Uh, we were tipped off by a parent to someone who went to the school, and I got an email from the, uh, the head of the college who said uh, police arrived on campus after 3 today in response to an investigation of a stolen car. Um, apparently, the suspects ran onto the campus, but they were... Thankfully, apprehended. No one was injured. Um, So three suspects taken into custody. Uh, There was apparently a BB gun that was involved that was seized. Um, But yeah, a bit of a scary situation and a lot of uh, traffic issues in that on that part of the mountain this afternoon. So uh, traffic's still an issue up there. Uh, That being said, the situation has been neutralized. Is that safe to say? Yes, yes. Last I was looking, I was just walking along Fennel up there, and uh, I saw what I believe to be the stolen vehicle, uh, police taking pictures of it. Um, It looked like a police cruiser was also damaged. Uh, I saw it had a bit of a dent on it when I was walking by. Um, But, you know, a relief that it wasn't as bad as it could have been. It it turns out that it was, you know, I mean, still still a scary situation for sure for all those parents. Um, I believe, uh, you know, there were delays in buses. We saw a whole bunch of the buses go by and uh, some parents were being asked to pick up their kids from the campus. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it looks like the situation has resolved itself uh, with no injuries and the uh, people responsible uh, allegedly in custody. And this is not related to the school in any way or the students in any way. It was just a case of this happened in the vicinity of the school and they were on the property. So they decided to to uh, obviously lock it down. Yeah, it sounds like from the email that we got from the or that we saw from the head of the college that uh, the students are based or the suspects uh, kind of parked the car on the side mm. of the road and then they started running towards the school to, so and basically they want you know they were trying to get away trying to hide in that direction and police were able to uh, apprehend them so school not involved in any way aside from just having to be there and a wrong place yeah. wrong time situation all right lisa paleski with us covering the story at hillfield strathallen and the lockdown going on up there lisa paleski reporter for chml as always lisa great job thanks so much for the time much appreciated thanks very much and of course they'll have more on the story uh coming up but the great news is is that it has been neutralized uh it is not uh, it's a safe situation right now nobody is in danger and uh there is still some commotion up there and an investigation is going on so obviously traffic in the area of the school and such uh, still going to be a, an issue as uh, police continue to process the scene and such but good news uh, the lockdown earlier on at hillfield strathallen uh has been neutralized and uh, no relation to the school in any way and nobody has been hurt which is obviously great news jump into the conversation love to hear from you send us a note scott thompson at 900 chml.com and the phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221 star 9900 on your cell as we mentioned a bit earlier uh there was a memorial today for former 
Ontario Premier Bill Davis. And it was held at Massey Hall, lots of dignitaries there, and, and paying tribute uh, to the former Ontario Premier. Many said he was the best Premier that Ontario has had. Let's bring in Peter Wollstonecroft, retired professor of political science, and is with us now. Peter, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am, and uh, best wishes to you and uh, your uh, birthday celebrants. There you go. Thank you so much for that. They'll be happy, Peter. Uh, <laughs> so many have said that uh, Bill Davis was the best pr- uh, premier that Ontario has had. What made him so successful? What made him so popular? Well, you know, I think we can overstate the popularity because he had a number of minority governments. Yeah. And so he didn't sweep the province as did his predecessors, particularly Leslie Frost. So, uh, and as I read Ontario, we've had a many uh, important premiers. Uh, so Leslie Frost and Bill Davis would be up at the top, I would agree. Bill Davis uh, changed Ontario. Uh, he made education uh, a central part of what he was doing before he became premier. He was minister of education and, and universities, as I recall, and certainly when he was premier. And so there was an enormous expansion in post-secondary education, community colleges and universities, mm-hmm. uh, and and attention paid to what was being done in the elementary and secondary panels, and it extended funding uh, to Roman Catholic schools. I find many people just look at me blankly when I mention that. Um, that was a very contentious issue. I remember that yeah. way back when, yeah. Well, how old are you now, young man? I'm and, in uh, my late 50s, but I remember my parents talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was a big, big deal. Yeah, and uh, and and uh, so he he extended the funding to to grade twelve, as it then was, and and uh, so that was a big change. Regional governments, uh, yours, Hamilton, uh, Wentworth, mine, Waterloo, and elsewhere, uh, they stopped with that experiment because there was some political blowback. Uh, conservation initiatives. Uh, and uh, and a leading role in federal provincial relations. Uh, oh yes, before I forget, the cancellation of the Spadina Expressway, which changed in ma- in many ways the planning uh, in metropolitan mm. areas, particularly Toronto. Um, on the on arguably good or bad side, changed Ontario uh, from the point of and how elections were conducted. It became much more electronic. We had the big blue machine. Yeah. That kind of thing. Uh, and it, it did change the world of democratic politics. It was going to happen anyway, but it certainly happened under Bill Davis. Um, was he considered a centrist? Yes, he was. Uh, now, you know, there, was a, there is a, a film out uh, on the big blue machine, and if you, people, you listeners, take some time to look at it, you see that, that he, for the most part, played the chairman of the board role where he listened to people go this way or that way, and he listened to people who wanted things to go up and things who wanted to go down, and then he'd uh, he would decide as the decider uh, what was going to happen. And, uh, and on some big issues like the Spadina Expressway, uh, he was more or less acting on his own, I believe, certainly on extended funding uh, for Roman Catholic uh, schools, school students. Um, and so in that way, he epitomized the very strong prime ministers and premiers that we have where so much power uh, gathers in the personality of the person who's holding the office. So, But uh, much of modern Ontario comes from, from what happened uh, under his time from the early 70s until uh, 80, 85. What can leaders of today learn from him? It seems we live in a very uh, divisive world, Peter. You're either way on that side or way on that side, and and we've lost the ability to come together and agree to disagree. Yeah, and and Bill Davis had a tremendously strong relationship with a very uh, vehement adversary, Stephen Lewis. And they became, I think it's fair to say, not just... uh, uh, companions, but they became very respectful of each other and mm. and could have discourse about issues. And uh, and I think that was generally true. It was not always true, because uh, there was one person that Bill Davis seemed to have a real problem with. But uh, across the board, he was open to different ideas and different approaches. And I think he, he, he understood, which a lot of people don't want to understand, that societies are always changing, 
And the question is, what's the right path forward? But we're going to have to find a path forward to handle the change. There are some people who want to hold up their hands and say, the world's going to hell, and we say stop. Well, yeah. you know, there are lots of things happening that we may feel uncomfortable with that we're going to have to make adjustments. But the fact is, you just can't wish them away. And we're not going back to the great old days, whichever they were or whatever was good about them. Mm-hmm. So I think he, he was he was a centrist and a progressive in the sense that he knew that things were happening that, that would require a different style of government uh, involvement and intervention. Um, and so when I, th- I listened to some American politicians, some Canadian politicians, I wish that they bore in mind uh, what Bill Davis w- did and said, which was that, well, it's just not that bland works, but that that you you have to respect uh, the the intelligence and the weight of argument that the other side presents. You just can't eliminate them as nullities. Is that gone in politics? Is that balance gone? That ability to agree to disagree? Well, I I think uh, yeah, and of course I'm I'm older than you by a fair bit, and I would say that's one of the things that I lament. Uh, is that the ability for people to uh, disagree, but also agree that they need to find points of agreement. One of the strengths of Ontario is that when we've had a crisis, uh, people have withdrawn from the, the, the issue at hand and found some resolution and moderation. And my, my, my best argument in favor of that is the, the terrible ways in which non-binary people were treated at one time and the forces at B said, this cannot go on. We can't have police raiding uh, places where people go. Uh, we have to find another way. And so that led to, uh, I think, a pretty well-accepted uh, perspective that we uh, recognize that differences in people are just not a simple matter of choice, but people are born this way or that way, and our society has to recognize that. A lot of people don't like that, but... That's the way that Ontario has worked, that they've tried to find accommodation and points of agreement between quite different perspectives. And we've been, I wouldn't, it's wrong for me to say we're number one in the world, but we certainly have been a leader in that compared to a lot of other places, which have kind of uh, nasty things in the air. Peter Wilsoncroft with his retired professor of political science talking about Bill Davis, uh, former Premier Bill Davis, who had a memorial. Uh, the memorial was held today. He passed away uh, earlier on in the summer. Peter, thanks for the time and insight as always. Be well. Thank you. Thank you. I think the last word has been taken tonight, uh, which uh, really isn't fair because the whole idea behind the last word is to give you the last word. And instead, we're giving it to my wife. Which, you know, in my house, that's great news for me. But I'm not so sure I'm doing, you know, is it the best interest of the radio station, of the good listener of CHML, you know, I'm playing favorites here. She's, you know, kind of weaseled her way in. But it is for Ted. I will leave it at that. And the last word is coming up. All right. Uh, also coming up, Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator, his show right after this one in the news at 6 o'clock. Scott, how are you? I hope you're well. Doing fine. How are you, Scott? I'm doing very well. We spent the whole afternoon saying happy birthday to Ted, so it's been a fun experience, lots of cake. It's Ted's birthday? I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thanks for listening, Scott. I love that. All right, let's move on. I know you are. Ted has sent out more tweets about his... No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, too. Ted does not send out tweets about his birthday, I don't think. But anyway. You know, anyway. I, I was going to give out his email address on the air and tell everybody to send him a note, but then he'd be in there in the in the newsroom complaining that he's getting overworked by uh, reading his own emails and not getting his work done. So, you know, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't know how much you know. Um, you know, obviously, you're younger than I am, a bit younger than I am. But Bill Davis, obviously, former yep. Premier of Ontario, yep. and uh, he passed away in the summer. His memorial uh, was held today at Massey Hall, lots of dignitaries uh, there and such. And many described him from, doesn't matter what side of the political uh, spectrum you're on, uh, many have said that he was Ontario's, or one of Ontario's, uh, best premiers. What is missing in today's leader that Bill Davis had? Okay, before I answer that question, can I tell you what comes to mind when you say the name Bill Davis to me in my generation? Sure. Ontario. Yeah. The song. (laughs) That is... That era gave us a land, a place to stay, and that song yeah. that will now be in people's heads 
which, by the way, was written by Dolores Clayman, who also wrote the Hockey Night in Canada theme song. Little yes, very uh, good. That's what I think. That's the era for Bill Davis. And there's a couple re- – and I, I mentioned that partially to answer the question because I think, first of all, that song, pretty peppy and pretty reflective of its time, which was pretty upbeat. It was – somehow it seems that things were – happier and more optimistic and maybe that's just you know you move through life and you're more naive or whatever it is back in those days but everything music seemed happier tv shows seemed happier everything seemed more optimistic and i think he was the reflection of that and probably helped to create that as well he, the reflection went both ways but there's i don't know some- you know what you know what I, I, and let me disagree there cuz we can agree to do that on this show sure. is that you know um um if you if you think back to that era i mean i was a kid in the 70s and it, you know i don't think it was all glory there was the remnants of the vietnam war uh you know you had shows like all in the family which were constantly talking about the politics of the day and how bad it was as a matter of fact a lot of what we're hearing today reminds me of that era cuz the world was coming to an end whether it was pollution or leaded gas or let it paint or the ozone layer or what have you. So I, I don't know. I, I think every generation, maybe we're a little beaten down now with COVID, but I, I'm not sure it was all sun and roses then. And see, as I said a second ago, maybe it's got something to do with where what your age was or what your where you yeah. were in your life or what, whatever. Yeah. But um, the other thing is, I, I do think that Bill Davis was both um, a very good leader. I mean, there's no question he was a very good leader. But he was also a man that benefited from the time he was in. I think he would have been a good leader any time. Mm. But if, we, if he lived at a time when politics was so toxic, yeah. um, he would not be remembered the way he is. It's, it's inevitable. It's not, that's not a criticism of him. It's today you cannot be a politician and not be hated by half the population. And, you know, we, we, and it's not even just politics. Although I don't think he really got a majority. They only had minority governments or mostly. So, you know, I mean, clearly he was a guy that could, that could bargain. Yeah. As I say, I'm not taking any shots at Bill Davis. Yeah, no. It's not a criticism. This is a reflection of how politics have changed that you could bargain back then. And I mean, even Ronald Reagan, you look back then. I mean, Reagan had huge majorities in the States, but today there is no chance. I, yeah. I believe there is no chance that either a Democrat or Republican could ever win 49 states ever again. Because you go into an election already when you've attached a party label to you, hated by half the population. Yeah. That's just the way we are now. And so, you know, Bill Davis, he was great. I, I, I have nothing negative to say about Bill Davis. But I think that we might have a slightly different perspective, or some people would have a slightly different perspective if he was governing today. And, you know, you bring up a valid point, because I remember Ronald Reagan at the time. Everybody was making jokes about him. Nobody ever thought he was a great president. And then as time went by, and now it's like everybody's saying, wow, he was a great president. He was great. And it's like, I don't ever remember that at the time. But I guess that's the way it is. All right, Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up after the news. And you can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Yeah, happy birthday, Ted, just in case no one else said it. (laughs) Thank you, Scott. All right, it is the time of the show when we leave it to you, the good CHML listener for the last word. However, in this case, because it is Ted's birthday, it is my wife. Hi, Ted. It's Eileen here, Scott's wife. I wanted to wish you the happiest of birthdays today. Happy birthday, Ted. There you go. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.